You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Welcome back to Water Flying. I'm Abby Kellett. I'm a flight instructor in seaplanes and assistant to Steve McCauley, executive director here at the Seaplane Pilots Association. Yes, and before we start this episode, I would like to thank our volunteer field director corps. These field directors are responsible for helping us maintain the Water Landing Directory app. They work trade shows for us. They're working on waterway access issues and all the other things we do to help us protect and promote the water flying community. So thank you to our field director corps. If you are interested in volunteering for SPA and maybe uh, becoming a field director, you can contact the Seaplane Pilots Association at spa at seaplanes.org. We are constantly striving to improve this show, and your feedback is really critical to making that happen. If you would like to reach out, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also email us at spa at seaplanes.org. Yes, and speaking of field directors, we're joined today by Mike and Cade from Idaho. He is one of our field directors that's been very proactive with us over the years, and you can see his writing throughout Waterflying Magazine over the years, and even some books. And today, he's going to talk to us about how we can help reduce both aircraft and seaplane collisions. Thank you so much for being with us today, Mike. Thank you, guys. Uh, let me Open it up by talking about a little bit of history. This is a mid-air accident way back when. And there was a little kid in the schoolyard. And he was looking up in the sky. And he saw these two planes flying uh, along and said, that's kind of cool. It was a jet fighter and airliner. Turns out they were on a test flight. It was a beautiful day, blue skies. And it all looked and sounded really cool to the kid. And then all of a sudden, they collided. The fighter erupted into flames. And then it spun behind the nearby hills, just like in a movie. And burst into flames. The pilot went down with the fighter, unfortunately, but the radio man bailed out. And here's this kid watching this big old parachute flapping, and it looked like he was going to land right by him in the schoolyard. However, uh, the, the guy was kind of badly injured, and he didn't make it and landed on top of the building in the neighborhood. The air, airliner, unfortunately, sheared a wing, and they began to spiral and went into another school nearby. And uh, there were two, over 200 kids out in the playground, and uh, four of them were killed, unfortunately. Or three of the students and four on the crew, and then 75 more kids were injured. This is a kind of a, a tough introduction to, uh, to aviation, uh, and that happened to be me, my introduction. I was that kid in that schoolyard, so mid-air collision avoidance is a big thing to me. Wow, that is a tremendous story. In all the years that I've known you, I have never heard that story, and uh uh, I'm just, I'm just kind of shivering right now. That's a, and that was 1957. So that was, you know, that was a ways away. That was a time ago and it's such a terrible tragedy, but you know, with all the advancements in GPS, ADSB technology, just as a whole, why are these accidents still happening today, Mike? Yeah, it seems like we would have improved. Uh, but last year, July 5th, Eight people, just like in that accident in 1957, eight people were killed on a beautiful day. And this was a mid-air accident over Lake Coeur d'Alene. 
And just like in a fighter pilot versus airliner, uh, the unlimited visibility, no excuse for the airplanes not to see each other. But uh, NTSB is still working on this case, but I have talked to the FAA very recently about it. and got a pretty good idea. It's going to be see and avoid, uh, just like that accident 57, just like most mid-airs. The pilots failed to see and avoid the other aircraft for a variety of reasons. Wow. So as seaplane pilots, you know, we should, should, I will stress should, have developed some pretty good habits as far as how we see and avoid and how we do our scans and things like that, because we're generally operating at lower altitudes than other general aviation aircraft. Uh, we're right there with the cell phone towers and, and the increasing uh, height of, of all the towers we find around. And there's nothing uh, that should really be in the cockpit that should distract us from our focus scanning outside the cockpit. What, what can you do? Uh, what do you think about that? What can you help us with? Well, it's kind of interesting. I wrote an article about Brooks seaplane in 2002 for water flying. And at that time, um, Bill Brooks had gone 55 years without an accident. He went uh, almost to his 90 years old for retired, still no accident on Lake Coeur d'Alene. And the new operator comes in with a year operation. He had this accident killing eight people. It gets down to the basics. The more you look outside the cockpit, the less the risk of collision. Absolutely. Your eyes should be out the cockpit. Uh, we're going to repeat that yeah. one more time because it is the most important part of this whole discussion, I think. So the more the more time you're, you should spend more time with your eyes outside the cockpit than inside the cockpit. I make all my students get that tattooed on their arm <laughs> before they leave their training. Yeah. So we all go, you know, I hold their hand, but see and avoid, look outside. It's much more interesting. It's going to keep you safe. And so scanning, when does that scanning actually start for us in a seaplane? Scanning should be done from the moment the aircraft moves. And even before you move, you know, you're out, say you're out on the float getting it, uh, the aircraft ready and you're about ready to start up. Or you can get in the uh, cockpit, take a look above you and look around and, and listen. See what, what other aircraft are in the area. Maybe there's a guy doing splashing dashes at the end of the lake. Uh, maybe there's an aircraft, uh, airport nearby and they're doing touch and goes or coming to the land. Or get the situational awareness where you even start that aircraft. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, how embarrassing would it be? Like, you know, you start up the airplane and the first thing you do is hit something. I mean, you don't have brakes. If you're on the water... After you get off your beach, your ramp, after you disengage from whatever parking spot you are attached to, you're moving. So it's so important to think ahead of the airplane and to have a plan of what you're doing, how the wind is going to impact you as you start your taxi. When you push away from the dock, when you push away from the dock or you hit the starter button, you're moving in a seaplane. So yep. your scan should start before you even start in motion. Yeah, you're exactly right. In, in the wind, you know, how many students have not even thought about the wind jumping the plane and all of a sudden the wind uh, uh, pushes them right back into the dock because mm -hmm. they don't have enough power. But so once you get the aircraft started, now before we take off or do a run up, let's make a 360 turn and look outside. Don't even, don't even close the door on your aircraft yet. You know, just leave, leave it open and be looking all around. Make a 360 look up in the sky, look all around you for those, uh, what we have here, the jet skis, we call them jerk skis here sometimes because they <laughs> zoom like them off up on us at 70 miles an hour. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, you know, identify your surroundings before you even think about uh, going into high speed taxi and going into takeoff.
Yeah, that's great. And and so and then once we, I was yeah. going to say, and and then we we start moving and we start thinking about takeoff. Let's go from there. Yeah. So once we get airborne during the climb, uh, beware of the blind spot under the nose. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to see under the nose, and uh, you know you can't see through the floorboard of the airplane. So when you you're looking around, kind of go side to side and, and be able to look straight down, look up, look side to side, look everywhere. It does cost any more of the lift the wing or, or to look up through the skylight. It, I just assume everybody out there is a kamikaze pilot trying to kill me. <laughs> Fly accordingly and always be looking for traffic. And it may be one day we had an Osprey. We were taken off and an Osprey came right in front of us and two its wings. I said, this is my airspace. You're not coming into it. And if we have, would not immediately take in evasive action, we would have had a, you know, a 20-pound Osprey coming through our, our uh, very upstairs that Osprey coming into the cockpit with this the windscreen. Yeah, I I can tell you more than one local pilot that has had seagulls or pelicans or someone all kinds of things join you in the airplane. Yeah. And then I know that you know we should be aware of that famous idea of you know you got the low wing aircraft and you got the high wing aircraft converging on each other from above and below. So what can we do depending on mm-hmm. you know low wing versus high wing aircraft? Yeah, there's a really good picture on the internet of a landing in Florida where the high, rank, high wing, uh, where the low wing landed on top of the high wing, and the high wing pilot didn't even know it. Just thought, boy, the controls feel really heavy here on this landing. And when they touched down, the two planes were joined. Nobody got hurt. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, but so lift your wing before turning in a high wing, of course, and dip your wing in a low wing air- aircraft. Just sounds like common sense, but it's amazing that people just don't do it. I figure just always be lifting your wings, looking around when we're just buzzing around, going from lake to lake. Just always be looking, looking both ways before you make a turn, looking up and down and everywhere you can. Absolutely. I think I know what picture you're talking about. Wasn't it a Stinson? It might have been like a Cherokee landing on a Stinson. May have been a Stinson, yeah. But the Cherokee never touched the ground. Like that low wing aircraft that landed on top of the high wing. He his wings like implanted in the wing and he was just suspended yeah. on top of this airplane. I saw that picture. That was amazing. I mean, what an example of, mm-hmm. you know, the need for looking and, you know, technically it's an uncontrolled field. No one was required to make radio calls. So using your radio as certainly a tool, I'm not assuming anything. I'm not assuming that these student pilots know exactly where they are in the traffic pattern and are art- articulating exactly where they are. But it's another tool to, you know, scanning and looking around. Yeah, exactly. And so when you're in flight, what uh, I'd like to do is scan an area at least 60 degrees left and right and up and down of your intended flight path. So, example, let's say you start at your left and make a very slow sweep to the right. Pause briefly in the sector. And if you just take your hand and open uh, your finger spread about that width, and use about three seconds to scan that area. What I see commonly is people, uh, you tell them to scan, so they're bobbing their head back and forth like a bobblehead, and they're not looking at anything. And so they're going way too fast to identify anything. Uh, of course, also, for even takeoff, make sure your windscreen is clean. Because what the human brain does, if you have a big old bug splatter on your windscreen, you tend to ignore that as part of your scan. You take that right out of your, your scan action. So make sure clean clean windshield and uh, and Take your time and scan and uh, just try to find another aircraft. It's amazing what you'll see out there if you look. It's kind of scary sometimes. 
But even the bug, I'd like to piggyback off of that. You know, I've I've had it before. I have a beautiful clean windshield because that's that's one of my things. I don't like taking off with a dirty windshield. It's already hard enough to see in a J3. Why would I make it any more difficult for myself? But if we do hit a bug and you have that little speck on your windshield, every once in a while, it'll catch me off guard. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's right there. <laughs> There's another aircraft. And it's just a dead bug. So, well, let me tell you, you, Abby, if you get more and more years instructing, you'll teach your students to miss bugs. To miss bugs. <laughs> yeah. I'll get better. Very important. I'll just stress my Super Cub has not learned how to do that yet. Learn how to miss bugs? <laughs> yeah. Is that the airplane's responsibility? You start missing some bugs. Spent a lot of time cleaning windscreens and leading edges. It's Florida. So. There's a lot of bugs here. My goodness. <laughs> but if pretend like it's an aircraft and, and you're going along and you see a, a spot out there and okay that's probably a boogie it's probably another aircraft it has no horizontal or vertical motion that means you're on the collision course and take evasive action you have seconds it's amazing a little time you have to take evasive action there's a really good video I showed in a PowerPoint and it's actually uh, GoPros and two aircraft that have a midair yeah. No one's typed in. It's it's just pretty dramatic how you see it and it's over. You better take evasive action quickly because boy, they sure do come up that bookie on you. Yeah, by the and time we climb along the lake, fishable lake, like go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no. By the time you see it uh, in the air, generally your your rate of closure is so great that you do not have a lot of time to react. Exactly right. The think of evasive action, bear to the right. And when we're talking about the right, when you're flying on a, a big lake like we have here, fly on the right side of the lake. Uh, and that's the Brooks seaplane went 70 years without an accident because he always flew on the right side of the lake. He had a standard pattern that everybody knew, and he followed the standard pattern. And unfortunately, the new operator wasn't doing it. He was flying on the left, and that certainly was a big contributing factor to that accident that day. I think this is something we could expand on more with seaplane pilots in particular is kind of having the rules of the road of always flying on the right side of a, a lake or a river. Um, that single thing alone would save so many uh, potential incidents, I think. And I think we we actually need to do a better job with that. Yeah, certainly. So the idea that, you know, I think people like to think of seaplane flying. And I know we've talked about it before on this podcast the idea that it's the Wild West and you're just out here doing whatever you want. No one's making me do a pattern. No one's telling me to. I don't have a tower. But, you know, technically, if the lake does have an established pattern, does have an established lane, why wouldn't you use it? And just you assume know? that that, you know, if we could teach people to assume that you should always fly with with the shoreline on your right shoulder, then, you know, it would help make sure that at least we weren't heading towards each other all Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when we're flying Super Cubs in J3s, I mean, that's how you want to fly along the shoreline anyway, so you can see more of it with that open door. Sure, sure. So looking around, you know, if we have standard exactly. practices, even if, you know, it is kind of up to us to make those good decisions, those good judgment calls, if you have, you know, people like you, Mike, that have been flying in an area for a certain amount of time and can impart that wisdom on how to approach these specific lakes. You know, certainly people need to be using you and adhering to those specific practices. Just going to make everybody safer. Okay, so you just said I'm old. I, I agree. What? Uh, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> I did not do that. 
<laughs> Everyone has wisdom. That uh, doesn't have point, anything to do with age. <laughs> <laughs> but one point, uh, the, the point I really agree with you, uh, talking about coming into a waterway that has a designated pattern. And I, I don't know if you do it at ground, but a lot of seaplane bases do. And just like at an airport, and there is actually an FAR that says we have to follow the pattern, be it a, sea, a, a seaplane base or an airport. It, it lays it out pretty quickly, uh, pretty directly. It says make left turns unless otherwise specified, and then you make right turns. So people will say, well, it's an uncontrolled field or uncontrolled waterway. I can do whatever I want. And no, not so much. Not only is it common sense and courtesy and safe, but, but there is an FAR that addresses that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about technology and people's dependency on it. So there's two things. Uh, you know, one story that comes at mind that happened with me just recently was coming into the pattern here at Winter Haven and literally having to take evasive action to avoid uh, uh, the fact that there was an airplane flying directly into me while I was on downwind. And so I did a right 360 very abruptly, called out on the radio what I was doing and why. And the pilot of the airplane came on and said, uh, of the other airplane came on and said, well, you didn't show up on my ADSB. And I was, <laughs> so yeah, as we all pause there, because if you're in the traffic pattern, why aren't your eyes outside looking at the other aircraft in the pattern? Why are you, you know, staring at your ADSB screen? So Again, I'd like to impart that. And then furthermore, um, I don't know enough pilots that actually practice looking to make sure that their belly side is clear. So, you know, the perfect example for me, and this comes from a military perspective where you're looking for missiles come at you, but what's going on on my belly side? So when you're about to turn base to final, most pilots will intuitively go from looking straight ahead to looking at the runway which is the direction of their turn but i don't see enough pilots really becoming in tune of looking the opposite direction to see if there are people coming in on a long straight end that may not be talking on the radio so i would encourage people to you know as you're making your turns in the traffic pattern look the opposite direction to make some sure someone isn't joining a base uh, from an extended base or coming as a straight in when you're in the traffic pattern a hundred percent agree with that again kamikaze theory just figure there guys out there trying to kill us die bombing on us uh, always be looking there's a really good video that alpa has out right now a guy coming in a 172 it looked like and all of a sudden here's a low wing coming right over him uh, and cut him off in the pattern and landed right in front of him. This guy never spoke on the radio i had a uh, i had a job for a, a, a movie flying last year a year before last and I turned it down because I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to Montana to do it. But I called this operator and said, "Why don't you do this?" He says, "Well, I don't have ADSB." I said, well, "We'll buy it." <laughs> and he's a Part One Thirty Five operator and didn't do it. My ADSB uh, it was cheap. I got the uh, one with the with the rebate, of course. And then I Avair is free. I bought a tablet for a hundred bucks. The whole mechanism and my plane's under a hundred dollars. For under two hundred dollars, I have an ADSB uh, in that I had mounted on my panel. It's very very cheap. But again, I don't focus on that. That just shows me the little pink dots that I have traffic in the area and then head out of the cockpit, find those targets. Don't stare at the, at the tablet trying to see them get closer and closer to you. 
Yeah. So use the technology to your advantage. Don't let the uh, technology become something that you focus on to the point that it, it disables your ability to identify your threats. And I think that one of my concerns with pilots that we're seeing today growing up in these glass cockpits and these highly automated environments is that they're very dependent on the right. t- technology and that um, they're losing the sense that as pilot in command, they're ultimately responsible for the control of the aircraft and the safety of the aircraft and that their piloted skills are the ultimate thing that needs to be practiced. I agree a hundred percent. Very nice. And I think it's important. We we, we have technology is wonderful. Yes. Technology is wonderful. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. No, I I agree. I know what uh, we talked about before and I think we've all agree that technology is great, but we, if we let it rule us, my theory is you might as well stay home and play a computer game. Look outside the cockpit. There are some beautiful things to see out there, no matter where you fly in this country. You've got a beautiful country, beautiful scenery. Be looking outside the cockpit 90% of the time. Just use those gadgets to kind of confirm what you see outside. Uh, there's no need to keep staring and staring at those devices. And part of my pre-flight sometimes, I'd like to take the people's cell phones and tablets and all their whiz-bang stuff and throw it in the water and take off and still fly. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's it's a supplement. It should it should benefit you. But especially, you know, what Steve was talking about having this almost kind of issue that he had at Winter Haven the other day. You know, patterns are where most midairs are going to happen. It's a congregation of a large amount of aircraft, possible students, you know, flying with instructors who, you know, they're teaching, they're looking for traffic, things can get missed. Maybe or maybe not making radio calls, whatever, whatever. You could have people that flying without radio. So it's a congregation of a lot of aircraft. So certainly that's where your eyes need to be out to a large degree. Um, And I know that going in and out of the East River when we were doing the caravan work, and I mean, you you have ADSB, so you have it squawking at you, traffic, one o'clock. But I got to tell you, we were so in touch with where all the traffic was. We'd see it and we're smacking the button making sure that it's muted because <laughs> we don't want it interfering with like, you know, what LaGuardia and what approach is trying to tell us. And so you're looking outside and your eyesight just improves immensely. It's amazing. Your aircraft radar, internal your aircraft internal radar. aircraft radar. If you don't have bugs on the windshield. Looking, looking out for helicopters coming at you there, the East River probably. Because by the time that that thing is finished saying traffic, one o'clock, hi. It's like, it is already there. You better have seen it a while ago. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, and so you know, you know and I think that's, I think that's go, ahead, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I just going to say, it, back to technology, it certainly has its place, and, and I'm a I'm a tech kind. I love gadgets, so I, I'm not saying it's not important. Where it comes into place is probably more uh, cross country flying, IFR flying, that sort of thing. What we're talking about is seaplane and around in a congested area when you come back to to land on your lake or when you're like I do, just go do splashing goes during the training or having fun. That's when our head should be really out of the cockpit and not depending on that as our primary source of finding traffic. 
Yeah, when you're cruising at altitude, and I think that might be a lot of what happens with people transitioning to single engine C, is they're used to flying on instruments, they're used to doing cross-country flights, they're not used to being down in the sticks and in the antennas and, you know, all the things that (laughs) in the sticks sticks and the antennas (laughs) and the birds and everything else that we're down in flying seaplanes. And so it might be a different thought process that we have to instill in pilots for flying seaplanes because... This is outside of the element where, for us, it's our natural environment for someone transitioning from instrument flying to seaplanes. You know, they're used to staring at the instruments for a long time. Sure. And, you know, I I always want them a little on edge. You know, you think about what we're doing usually at 500 feet, takeoffs and landings. We are always in that critical phase of flight. So why your hand is ever coming off the throttle, I have no idea why. (laughs) We are always in that critical phase of flight. You are always thinking about what is around you. You know, what we're doing here in central Florida, we are no more than eight miles away from our base and away from Winter Haven Airport. So yeah, I want you looking outside. It's much more interesting. We're at 500 feet. We're eye level with the antennas. So using the technology, using it to your advantage, but your eyes are a lot better than you think. Yeah. So, you know, we've we've had some cautions about this technology and how it can be a distraction. But I think there are things out there like wigwag lights and keeping your strobes on on other things that we can do that we might not necessarily consider technology solutions to avoidance, but they can be very useful tools. So I would I would encourage people to uh, consider installing wigwag lights or making sure that your strobes are on, especially when you're flying down low, because other seaplane pilots and other people at low altitude, uh, it'll really help them. Mike, any uh, any other thoughts that we're missing? I agree with that 100 percent on the wigwag lights. LEDs are cheap; you can leave them on all the time. And recent studies have shown that it actually causes birds to divert to the right when they see the wigwags. Uh, stripes on the airplane or bright colors on the airplane, of course, are always smart. Yeah. Well, this is a topic that I think we have a lot of potential to continue to talk about and expand upon in further episodes. Uh, Mike, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, I, I My heart is still kind of uh, missing a beat from that story of your childhood and, and knowing what your career has been, becoming a pilot and flying in Alaska and, and being an instructor in seaplanes and everything else. So to have experienced that as a, as a youngster and then gone where you've gone in aviation, I just think it's an incredible story. And I hope we get to expand on that as well. So until next time, I'd like to thank you, Mike, for uh, joining us today. And I can't wait to talk to you again for our listeners. And I'd like to thank the listeners for tuning in today, because here at the Seaplane Pilots Association, we are really here to talk about some of these safety topics that are are maybe not the most uh, uplifting things that need to be tackled. And uh, we're going to tackle them. So stay safe until next time. Go out there and enjoy your aircraft, clear skies and blue waters. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events 
not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.